Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. We have two guests on today, and I have to say, we recorded this a while ago, and we talk about a trip that we we're heading to in London in the interview, and that trip has happened, and I just have to say that Daniel Pampuk and Darren Isselin are two great friends now from the relationships that we've been able to forge through multiple conversations now on multiple continents. And I hope to be able to spend time with them this summer in Australia and Tasmania as we go around and see some of the schools that they're talking about today. And they're hosting a conference in Hobart, Tasmania, that where I will be able to participate and speak at. So what I want to say is, as you listen to them, what they're saying about relationships and soul care and well-belonging those are all real and they're very much a part of how they do work. And so when you come across collective leaders who are doing work in meaningful ways, you can tell in the way they authentically talk about it. And then when you get to spend time with them and see the way they interact, we were interacting in a room built in 1415 in Windsor Castle and seeing the generosity with the way they ask questions and engage. And even when they don't see eye to eye on things, there is a willingness to listen and learn from others, which I think is really encouraging. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Darren and Daniel. Today, I'm here with two friends from Australia who lead the largest Christian school organization in Australia. We have the CEO here, Daniel Pampuch, and his director of innovation and research, Darren Islin. We've been able to spend the last few days together uh, in Florida at a conference, and then they've been on campus at Baylor. So, we were talking a lot about leadership, and we're going to London soon to talk more about leadership and the way they are leading in Australia, which is doing some really interesting things with shared leadership, distributed leadership, collective leadership. And so I just wanted to get some of their thoughts out there to those of you who don't understand Australian schools, which I certainly do not know well enough yet. I've not been in them. I haven't seen them, but I think there's so much we can learn from other countries, particularly in the U.S., where we do a lot of what I like to call navel gazing. We just keep looking for the same solutions that have or have not worked for years here when there's a lot of really good things going on across the globe. So, Darren and Daniel, thanks for being with us. Just quick introduction. Uh, give us a little background on how you got into this work with building up school leaders and building up schools in Australia. Yeah, great. Thanks. It's good to be here, John. Look, uh, probably our, both our backgrounds have been as principals of schools ourselves uh, and a commitment probably to the broader uh, education sphere in terms of participating in uh, educational councils and then now working for at an association level. And so our goal is is to realise that uh, together that we, we can uh, do far much more than we can do in isolation. And so we're both champions of, of being part of networks and associations um, to help each leader be the best that they can be in their context. 
That's great. That's great. Yeah, similar background that, that Daniel has mentioned, um, really loving to work in that nexus between K-12 to and higher education. And my background has come from both of those uh, those key areas. So, again, that, that, that opportunity for collaboration, op- opportunity to network, opportunity to make meaningful connections um, that lead about flourishing uh, across the entire school community. That's right. There are so many interesting things about Christian Schools Australia that you, the, the organization you lead and how it came to be and the funding models in Australia that are very different than they are in the U.S. So we could definitely get into some of that. But really what I'd like to spend the time on today is where you see success happening in your schools across Australia, where you have schools of Indigenous students of like 50 or 60 students to, you know, thousands, schools of thousands of students, and you're leading that network and you're seeing some pretty cool improvement that is tied to some of the leadership that you do. And I'm a huge fan of Australian research just simply because of John Hattie alone, because of his work with collective teacher efficacy and all the ways he's measuring inputs into the classroom and what gets returns for students. But where do you see the bright spots that you would relate to some of the collective leadership you see of teachers and administrators together. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, starting point with Hattie. And we look at about classrooms were the the easiest space to begin with, where we found that there was a a, a great efficacy where teachers who were doing the same work, whether they were across year three or they were in the same faculty of history or mathematics, that when they had an open door mentality that they were able to see into each other's classrooms, they were able to agree upon what, what good practice look like. They were able to then differentiate their classrooms that we saw, not only the students in an individual classroom um, improve, but right across that that year level or faculty. Then you could say that, well, then that um, applied then when we saw, you know, elementary schools doing this or high schools applying the same type of concepts where they said, we as a group are going to have a shared language, a shared understanding about what good learning looks like. And that translates into um, relationship, spiritual development, pastoral care, all of those elements where there was a consistency and understanding of the research, which said what brought about flourishing and schools were able to articulate it, identify the behaviours and then share the the commitment to that as well as the, the outcomes has been outstanding. So we take it to an association level and say, what about if principals did that? What if, what yes. if the, the, the administrator or the head of school said, I'm open and vulnerable and willing to talk about what I believe is good education and work with my colleagues? Would we see the same magnification, the efficacy translated across schools and regions in terms of what's taking place. Uh, And so that's been a step for us is to say, how do we get principals together or administrators together to have the conversations, to work on things that that they're mutually concerned about or invested into and have those conversations? And so the step that we've seen then, we've had a a range of projects which which we've engaged on from school improvement activities and and assessing where, where the growth areas are, where they come together and discuss that to development of teaching and learning frameworks and an understanding about professional practice. And what we saw, which was an interesting outcome, which we didn't predict, was that not only were the, the school heads coming together or the administrators coming together, but each of the segments that were involved mm-hmm. in terms of those activities. So it was organisations coming side by side. So you saw this not only just teacher efficacy, as we've seen in the past, leadership efficacy, but organisational efficacy, yes. which is a, a brand new great frontier to talk about. Love that. Love that. And I, I love the fact that at the core of it is the teaching and learning. So Absolutely. everything you're doing is in service of that. And everybody gives lip service to that. But it sounds like in the conversations we have, that's actually what's driving what's going on in the success you're seeing in your schools, both in the presentations I heard Darren give over the weekend and then in 
just your answer there and what we've discussed. So, uh, Darren, what would you add? Look, I think that there's an inherent balkanization that can take place within our school communities, um, both with our teachers. Um, they become isolated. They become these, these islands of autonomy and individuality, and they don't really often want to share. And what we've mm. seen over the last uh, decade and a half is this teacher efficacy space really growing in popularity and seeing increasingly work amongst teachers really leading to some really productive outcomes for student learning. We're seeing that same efficacy model now being replicated with our leaders, um, mm. not this sage on a stage where this is my kingdom and I'm the master of all that right. I survey, but rather a posture towards I don't have all the answers. In fact, I want to learn and mm. grow from my peers and my colleagues and I want to come into active orbit with them, um, come into the same types of challenges, the same types of um, uncertainties that they're having. There's a vulnerability in that space, but mm. what it leads to is is a transformative element where it's not about assessment, it's not about evaluation, it's about meaningful improvement in how we lead our schools well. I love that. And that focus on improvement is a nice open door to getting better together. And you shared the challenge of sometimes getting heads of school to see that getting the 360-degree feedback is a way to improve, that yeah. they want to use it on their executive teams, they want to use it on their teachers, but they're reticent to use that on themselves. Why do you think that is, and how are you overcoming some of that? Yeah, I think there are multiple factors about that reticence. I think, first of all, they're t time poor, and this is another yes. activity we're adding to a yeah. plate of somebody who's already busy. But I think the when you're the leader and you're the one who carries the can at the end of the day, to open yourself up for more feedback, whether that could be constructive or, you know, this mystery feedback that you might quit or may, you know, um, identify some gaps or holes that need to be addressed. That's a challenge where you right. are saying, I've, I've got so much in my day to deal with. Do I, do I really want to invite more feedback to have to respond to? And so, in a sense, it has to be a safe place where what we engage in is something that we feel is going to be life-giving, is something that's going to be supportive, something mm. that's actually going to be of an assistance. It cannot be framed as a burden or that this is some, how, how an evaluation that, that is being taken place. This is a, an opportunity to grow and mm. to come into the fullness. But I would say probably even better is to say come back to – the core things that, that brought us into the profession in the first place, our first loves. This is why I'm here. This is why I right. want to lead a school. This is what yeah. I want to see. And when we can tap into those loves of, of why I'm an administrator or a leader in the first place, mm. that's, that's even better. Yeah. And so the ways that we approach that may be on, on an activity or something. So we, two that we've seen as effective has been our school improvement tool, mm. where we have a, an association Representative it could be somebody like Darren or myself or one of our other staff working with a cluster of principals as they, they, they look at one school and its practices and identify all the strengths and what's going well. But at the end of the day, they just want to find one or two things mm -hmm. that they think that they can improve. What we find, though, is that when they identify those one or two things in their school, often the people doing the assessment will go, oh, that's the one or two things in my school as well. So, right. it's not the other who's been, right. it's actually a journey of the people right. together exploring that. And so, when they come to then think about what maybe the solutions or the activities they would engage in, it can actually be a collaborative effort mm -hmm. in terms of that. The level of openness where you've got people who are co-journeying mm -hmm. is is fantastic because we're isolated even more so at a, at a leader level. Yeah. Um, and then you, you're doing a journey with people right. in terms of this and you, you have the time to brainstorm, to compare ideas about mm -hmm. what works, what hasn't worked, um, and to go on that journey together. And and that in kind of um, encourages others to be brave and to be vulnerable and to step out as well because they hear the good report of what's occurred. That's right. It, it reminds me of the... Um 
the Latin root word for assessment is to sit beside. And so if we actually looked at assessment as that, that coming alongside and walking, journeying, to use your, your phrase, alongside, none of us would be resistant to that feedback, but that's not how it's been used in the past. It's been used as a judging, evaluating tool. So, Darren, what, what have you seen with that? Yeah, look, so much of what a leader does, particularly at a board level, is 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 often around an evaluative process. It's actually around right. a review. It's actually around a performative element. Um, what this is trying to do is actually to say, let's take that that focus off uh, performativity per se. Um, we're still interested in performance, um, acutely interested, but what we want it to be about is improvement. We're actually saying that as, as a principal, as a leader of a school, um, someone once said that it's the greatest job in the world that has some of the worst days imaginable. That's and what we're trying to do is open up that space to say, you know what, we're all at a different place on that journey. Some of us are at the at the mountaintops at the moment. Others are, uh, are struggling with even their sense of calling towards what they're doing. And an improvement tool just really uh, provides a safe space for that to happen um, that actually can come in. Uh, journey together, hear from different voices across their school community about what is working, what's not working, and be able to say, look, this is how we can set about an improvement process. And as Daniel mentioned earlier, the the importance of that asset tool, that school improvement tool, Mm -hmm. uh, really is a mirror to their school communities. Well, once that's been seen as effective, the natural logical next step is to say, well, that same mirror that I'm using in my school community, I can now see for myself and actually be able to to use that improvement process and that improvement journey uh, to actually bring about uh, transformative change. The other thing that we've found really effective has been the research that we've undertaken. Mm. So when you're participating with a group, so some of the research we've done has involved 100 schools. There's a bit of anonymity that you can join in and realise that there is going to be an association level study come through. When you get the individual report, you can see compared to the, the overall performance of, of the greater group, how we've done. But we've tried to take that further and celebrate those who are doing outstanding work in certain areas. And we did one on um, with the Relationships Foundation. We found that two of our most outstanding performers in, in a couple of categories was one school that was had a very high ethnic population okay. and the other one was an Indigenous population or a First Nations mm-hmm. school. And so what we were able to do is to say, what does good practice or excellent practice in this this area look like and then have a conversation between that to say what are some of the learnings we might take on from school to school to see you know your strength is my weakness your weakness is my strength what are the things that are, that are, that are difference between that that we can actually then come together and share those practices build conversations and again um, journey together that's the power of research and data when used well the data is not the end goal it's how do you have good conversations out of that and highlight elevate good work and spread it and so i love that example and it feels like that's what you're doing sometimes in the u.s we get pushback on collective leadership because there's a vulnerability to sharing leadership because you're sharing power yes you're saying hey this is about us it's not about me and i don't know how in 2023 you look at the work we do in schools and think that any one individual could have all the solutions could have all the answers i mean there's a hubris there that is unfounded but i've laid out in a, a recent cardis article that there are two ways you can approach leadership there's unmoored leadership which is anchored to nothing 
uh, and then there's biblical leadership yeah. and making the case that collective leadership is a more biblical way of thinking about leadership and that unmoored leadership leads to us thinking as leaders that others serve us where biblical leadership is we're there to serve others. You know, Christ is the ultimate example there, but you see that throughout the old Testament and the new Testament where leaders are serving others. The second thing is that unmoored leadership looks at the great man. It could be a woman, but typically in the U S it's, it's a, there's a gendered part of that where it's like, no, I am the pastor prophet priest of this school, which is problematic versus the early church. And then we have the cult of personality on the unmoored side versus the gospel that it's not, a, it's not about us, it's about the gospel. Then there's this self-focused versus the body of Christ. So, if we're going to serve schools well, we need the whole body of Christ. That includes first people in Australia. That includes first people in the United States. That includes students. It includes families, communities. Then there's an arrogance that comes from the unmoored leadership where biblical leadership is grounded in confident humility, that there is truth to be known, but we need all different perspectives to help get to that truth and that that, that en- enriches things. So, It doesn't feel like in our conversations that that's as big a hurdle to get over in Australia. It feels like there's more of an understanding that, yes, biblical Christian leadership is about the body of Christ and including others. A, is that correct? And B, what lessons can we learn from that in other countries that maybe haven't gotten that far? Or maybe I'm misreading the situation in Australia as well. Yeah, I think uh, there's there's probably a couple of things at play there. First of all, as a leader, you may be aware that 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 there is a you know a great man model in play, and there's a question around whether your community allows you to shift and move away from that. Uh, uh, and we see yes. that even in the Bible, we just yes. want a king. We want a king. That's right. And so, in a sense, even though you may be saying, "Look, this is a really unhealthy way of doing it," or it's an outdated, or it's you know not as effectual, whatever words we want to put around that, you know, it's always been put to me by by some professors that I studied under. You know, even if you want to change, are you able to in the context you're in? So, I think there's a mm-hmm. contextual understanding, particularly if we're attached to certain communities or churches or groups that that have that as the standard leadership practice. So I think yeah. we need to be mindful of context always yeah. and expectation that that leader is in because if you're working against those things, you can find yourself pretty quickly without a job. So <laughs> yes, I think you yes. need to be mindful of that. That's and so fair, for those fair. who feel themselves trapped in that, that space, you have to almost be a little bit more forgiving of that. Right. I think what we found, um, particularly in Australia, is because the environment became so regulated and is increasing, and we have state and federal regulation um, and a number of other, depending if the school is diversified into other sectors, a school could have up to 50, 60 external agencies or bodies that, are, that they're reporting to or accountable to. So the thought that one person would have those skills, abilities, time to do that, that's we've long passed that. That's been, that would be 10 years ago. There's still people, let me tell you, who try to fight that good fight. Um, but I think, you know, they're the ones who end up, you know, with burnout or heart attacks and things because it is just a superhuman That's right. um, it's exhausting uh, level that they're putting upon themselves. So I think we've seen that our teams have become more diversified. So we, we, we talk about an executive team. But again, that can be just a whole lot of gophers who are going to do this yes. and that for the, for the leader as well. And the word that you use, which I think um, really captures the heart of distributed or shared leadership, um, is around the fact of are we giving power away? Yeah. Are our people actually empowered to make the decisions and to take the responsibility for those decisions around a certain area? And the best way to see whether that's true is whether or not they look for the endorsement of the the, the, the administrator or the principal. So, yes, person A has been responsible for pastoral care or for formation or for, for teaching and learning, et cetera. But you can oft- often even watch the subtle things where they look for the kind of nod or endorsement from the administrator in terms of to get the final set off or whether staff can feel that they can go around that person and go 
straight to the administrator or principal to say, well, let's, let's actually change that. Do, do they have the support? Will they back their people in terms mm. of actually having the power to make the change yeah. that's required? But some of that is in, in terms of that's not then a principal who then says dele- delegates off and is now missing in action. When you've delegated that, you, you actually have to be very present. So in teaching and learning, if you're going to bring around a teaching and learning environment within a school, it must be endorsed from the highest levels mm. of the organisation. So it still must have yeah. the administrator or, or, or yep. the executive team as a whole visibly present reinforcing and saying this is absolutely has our, our, our combined backing um, towards those bits and pieces. Uh, for us as an association, we've had to do that as well. So we have um, executive officers that work in each of our states who look after member needs. Very quickly, it could be that that one person has to provide for the full array of, of right. issues and problems that come up in a school. Again, a great man theory around if we could just appoint the superhuman person, they would right. be able to solve for the needs. So we moved our model to be more of a national secretariat, which was we have people on our team who are incredibly gifted, specialised, experienced, have a passion, a calling, an anointing on certain things, and we deploy them where they're going to be most effective. They will take the lead on the design and the, the framing of things. And in a sense, they are sustained because of the fact is that they're doing something that's life-giving for them, but the entire team is blessed because the fact is that, that we don't have to carry the burden in terms of being able to be an expert in every area. John, to probably take that into a, to take that lens and then bring that into sharp relief around collective efficacy and particularly around collective leadership and the importance of using a tool like the the 360 tool that we're using or indeed the asset uh, that was Daniel mentioned earlier is, is really much around this, the importance of vulnerability. Yeah. But the flip side of vulnerability is also there needs to be, it needs to be balanced with authority. Um, Andy Crouch does this so beautifully in The Strong and the Weak, and he right. talks about this, this intersection point between being truly vulnerable um, and transparent with who we are and where we're at, as well as then not abdicating authority like Daniel mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so what we find is by providing those spaces mm-hmm. um, that are built around trust, that mm-hmm. are built around making sure that there is a level of connection or Daniel mentioned the relational work that was done early, um, uh, through a previous study, what we would call relational proximity with those leaders. Mm-hmm. It's pointless getting three random principals in a room and expecting them to somehow uh, have the trust dimension to be able to engage in this collective mm-hmm. efficacy well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they need to do is have uh, a similar interest, similar uh, size school, perhaps not, but, but, but something that actually draws them together to mm-hmm. allow that vulnerability to be revealed. Uh, we found the tool actually is a high effective measure, both the, the school improvement tool as well as the 360 tool in actually allowing for those conversations to be held that allow those avenues to be able to speak into that space uh, that is vulnerable, um, that is transparent, that is at times you feel as though you're exposed. Um, but so many of us operate out of a shadow within our leadership. We, mm. we need the light to come in. We need to be actually able to reveal where our shadows are and so much we perpetuate with our leadership models and what you've mentioned there is is, is a wonderful overview of the, the the stark contrast between the two but so often it's just a perpetuation of the right. status quo right there's we're going to get to a lightning round here in a minute and wrap That's up great. but there's
there's a zero sum game that's assumed with power where if you share power and you do better work, you elevate the power of the organization. And so it's not that by giving up power, you're losing it. It's that you actually have more influence, which is the goal. But in the end, if we think we're going to get this in a safe way, and this is where I push back on people talking about safe spaces for this, we're asking people to do very vulnerable, hard things, especially among some people who fear judgment, significantly some people like me who want the approval of others. Telling me that you're going to do this in a safe place means that I'm expecting safety when really all you can really expect is respect. Nice. So nice. it's it's respectful spaces as opposed to safe spaces because we're going to ask people. You, you have indigenous people in Australia working with other groups of people that have had power dynamics that have been very harmful mm-hmm. to them personally and to ancestors. So there's not a safe thing in that vulnerable that does not feel safe it's got to be respectful and then as you build your coalition as a team and you stop othering people that you're all part of the same team then it's your power collectively not your individual power and i think that's huge and i feel like that's what you've hit on so lightning round here if you had to think of a sentence or less what's the biggest challenge collective leadership or the way you're doing leadership what's the biggest challenge that could help with in australia First, and then I'm going to ask a bigger question. But in Australia, what's the biggest thing collective leadership could help with in Australia? Look, we have we have a, a viewpoint that um, through providing excellence in education, we win the right to speak Christ in young people's lives. So yeah. for us, then, is that if we as educators, which is our first point of service and serving the community and being a witness of Christ, is that we have got to use that collective e- efficacy to ensure that the education we are providing is one that is God honouring. And then we can. Then when we've done that, then we can talk about that God who who we're seeking to honour. That's good, Darren. Anything to add to that? No, not really. That's a that's a that's a comprehensive, uh, all all encompassing answer. But what I would say is just the importance of journeying together, John, um, as a leader. Um, we are no leader is an island, and one of the greatest lessons I learned as a leader very early on in my career was the importance of the other, the importance mm. of other leaders that are journeying with me together, mm. and to open up. Um, that uh, those opportunities and to be a networker, to be someone who is intentional about making relationships and forming relationships with other peers in regards to the journey of leadership together. And I think the metaphor that comes to mind when Darren says that is that sometimes we cr- come across as this man or woman mountain that's this, mm-hmm. this you know, this, wow, look, at this, look, survey this person, aren't they grand and, you right. know, all-encompassing, when it's actually the cracks and the crevices and the broken pits that are the handholds for others to, to get oh. to the place that they need to get. And sometimes Great in trying metaphor. to seek to be perfect, we're actually preventing the person who is beside us to journey with us and come on on that. Um, and so together then we, are, we, we, we have this resilience and we have this ability to do more than we could in isolation. That's a great metaphor. You earned more than one sentence with those answers. So uh, the second question is, what's the biggest takeaway others could learn from your schools in Australia and the rest of the world? I think leadership in Australia is very different. Um, leadership is not one which is associated with positional. Positional leadership is something that that Australians don't gravitate to automatically. But you said you root for the underdog, which I love that. We do. So, so it's got to do with our heritage and colonisation and, and tied with all of that, which means that um, if somebody who tries to set themselves apart or sets themselves above others and is the answer is quickly leveled down um, to, to the rest. And in a sense, but the reverse happens is those who are struggling, those who are seen as having the least chance of, of actually succeeding, 
the Australian leadership style is you get behind those and we want to, we want to champion that person to be all that they can be. And in a sense, and there is an egalitarianism mm. that's there that I think is something that's, that's worthy um, of reflection. It's great. Yeah, again, I would just um, wholeheartedly, you know, affirm what Daniel has said and, and especially in that space around making sure that in that leadership space there is uh, great opportunities for uh, for soul care for with, with each of those leaders to, to make sure that they are dealing with themselves well um, and treating themselves well in that space so that they can then uh, be part of something bigger than themselves as far as what's happening. That's great. And this is a test. In one word... Can you sum up your best hope for education right now in Australia? Or you can think more globally if you want, since we're going to be with a bunch of global leaders next week. But one word, what's your best hope for education right now? Redemptive. Oh, that's a good word. Darren. Hope-filled. Hope-filled. Hope-filled and redemptive. I love it. I also love your idea about well-belonging, that it's not a well-being, it's about belonging. I love that. We're going to have to do another one of these where you let the world know how federal public funding went to independent schools Mm. through toilets so that i learned this weekend so we need that story (laughs) but hey thank you for being with us i know you all need to get on the road but it's been great to have you thanks for having us thanks john we really do need to get them back on to understand how toilets unlocked funding for schools in australia it's a good story but again Going back to the way they talk about soul care and well-belonging and redemption and hope-filled, it's so much that's in the book, just teaching feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. I think they're doing that for their leaders and allowing those flourishing leaders to lead flourishing schools. So I hope I get to go over and see this in action in Australia. I hope you all will get a chance to see other countries and how they approach these things in ways that can help us be better educators for the students that God puts in our schools and our classrooms. Have a great week in the profession that makes all others possible. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Join us for our Just Schools Academy this June, where we will use Dr. Eckert's book, Just Teaching, to do better work together. 